Hello, I'm Dave, and I'm the person who has pretty hastily thrown this stuff together. Happy New Year! And just a quick content note before this Getting Better Acquainted Extra starts properly. This episode touches on mental health stuff around anxiety, depression and suicidal ideation. It also gets into some detail around stuff to do with dementia and old age and euthanasia. Oh yeah, and it also touches on some of the realities or what I see as the realities of the political circumstances that we are in. So expect that kind of stuff too. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with 2019. And in some ways, it's been a year since you've heard from me on this podcast. Although in other ways, there was one episode of Getting Better Acquainted released this year or an extra episode of Getting Better Acquainted was released this year when me and my partner, Jen, who make the magical realist podcast drama series, The Family Tree, we sat down to talk about the process of making season three of that show, the third and final season, which completely finished uh, on Boxing Day this year when the Christmas special went out. But that has been the only thing that you've really got on the Getting Better Acquainted feed since it went on hiatus in January 2019. So it's been a year when I have not been getting better acquainted with anybody, which doesn't mean I haven't been having conversations with people and recording them. That has happened. That's part of the work I do for lots of different clients. But getting better acquainted kind of got locked into amber at the beginning of this year. And now on the final day of 2019, I'm recording this, which is an update, a contemplation, a monologue, a, a ramble. In lots of ways, this is just something that I'm doing for me. It's good to check in and reflect on what's happened. And I found these Getting Better Acquainted extras, which I've been doing for a few years now, not since the show started, but from relatively early on. In fact, I think the first one of these I did was maybe just before I went freelance. And so this has been a good way of, of reflecting on what I've been doing as a freelancer since I went freelance in, uh, in 2014. So here I am sitting at my desk in Lancaster. It's a, a chill day. As I said, it's the last day of 2019. It's uh, December the 31st. I don't know when I'll put this out. I may put this out later today. I may put it out tomorrow. I may put it out in a few days. I don't want to commit to anything because I'm trying to take these few days between Christmas and New Year as days of possibility where I don't have big to-do lists and I don't have to cross things off. It's a very liminal space 
between Christmas and New Year. My emails are taken off my phone, so I haven't checked my emails since the 22nd of December. So I don't know what's happened in that time. Uh, there are things that I'm waiting to hear back on, and uh, I have not heard back on them yet because I have not checked. I may have got a response there in my inbox that will tell me a lot about the year that is to come, but I don't have access to that information. And that's exciting uh, to me because it means that nothing is set. There are so many possibilities in this moment. As soon as I open up my emails again and find out what people are saying, that will suddenly reduce the possibilities of what might happen as much as it might also expand them. There may be new offers. There may be things that I thought were going to happen that are now cancelled. There could be so many different things happening. And it's exciting to be outside of that. Uh, it's enjoyable to be outside of that and to connect with the sorts of, you know, the things that I want to do consider what I want from my next year, uh, remember what it's like to read for pleasure, remember what it's like to get up in the morning and not know what you're going to do. That is something I enjoy a lot, uh, but it's something that most of us get quite rarely in our lives. So I guess the first thing to reflect on is uh, the decade, because as uh, 2019 ends and we move into 2020, uh, in theory, that's a signifier of something significant. We've broken things up into these arbitrary uh, amounts of time. We've decided that a decade is a significant thing to reflect on. And so that's what a lot of people are doing. I'm not quite sure it's technically a decade I, I don't know if that starts more technically in 2021 Facebook memories informs me that I joined Facebook 10 years ago today uh, on the 31st of December 2009 and so this has been the first decade that I've experienced where I've really documented it publicly online in a way that constantly reminds me of the things I've said in the past, which reminds me that I've changed a lot in this decade. I'm constantly seeing things that uh, 2010 me or 2011 me or 2012 me, probably going up to 2014, 2015, um, things that I said that I no longer agree with. And I'm a very different person in a very different place than I was when I started that decade. When I started that decade, I wasn't making Getting Better Acquainted, uh, or at least I may have been making Getting Better Acquainted, but I wasn't releasing it. Uh, Getting Better Acquainted started in 2011, so it, it was most of the decade, but it didn't exist for the entire decade. Uh, back then in 2010, my biggest thing that I was doing, I, I had got some stuff that I had done in podcasting. Uh, in 2010, I was making a terrible podcast, which I don't recommend and is no longer available on the internet. But my big thing at that time uh, was being in bands, was making music. Uh, that's what I was doing. Uh, I think that 2010, 
10 was maybe the that might have been the year when the last gigs of my big band apples for everyone that i was very much con- committed to and was the central part of my creative life uh the kind of last gigs of that happened in in 2010 that was what i was doing a decade ago uh i had not really started making podcasts the way that I do now with the amount of commitment to being a podcaster that definitely not started. Uh, I had a day job. Uh, I had a, a day job that I enjoyed and that was a job that I think had social value. I was working as an early years library outreach worker going into children's centers on behalf of the library service and doing story and song sessions with different community groups, children uh, under the age of five generally uh, and their parents. In 2014, that job was cut and I became a freelancer. Uh, I was excited to do that in some ways. I had been aiming to go freelance as somebody making podcasts and being part of the arts, uh, making doing true storytelling and all of the various different strands of work that I do. I'd been intending to get there. Uh, for those first four years of the decade, I was going in that direction. I was making better, getting better acquainted and that was becoming uh, successful in certain ways. I launched my live night stand-up tragedy uh, around the beginning, the first couple of years of the decade. Uh, that was going strong. Um, I was hosting the True Storytelling Night in Hackney for Spark. Um, so I was doing lots and lots of stuff and I was aiming to go freelance uh, soon. Um, but when I lost that job, that made me have to make that decision earlier. I didn't have to make that decision. I could have gone back to a different day job as a library assistant, um, but I didn't like uh, that job as much as I had liked being an early years library outreach worker. And I wasn't sure of the future, and I still am not, sadly, uh, sure of the future that might be there within the library service. And I was close to being at a point where I could go freelance. So I thought, right, I will take the jump. I'll take the leap. I'll do that. And I did it. Uh, I did it with the first couple of years being super difficult, but also with those first couple of years being when I was trying to really make stand-up tragedy work for me uh, financially, because creatively those were some of the best years. But when stand-up tragedy failed, to do that for me I had to decide to say goodbye to stand-up tragedy so I could have more space in my life for paid work and for other creative projects that might go somewhere I also uh, in 2014 and going into 2015 made a show a solo show about masculinity called what about the men mansplaining masculinity and that mid-decade point in 2015, that's about when I start agreeing with myself much more. Uh, that's when I sort of had worked out a lot of the things that I've been trying to work out in the first few years of getting better acquainted. Uh, I was trying to work out some stuff to do with gender and, 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 and how I thought about myself and processing trauma, how I saw the world around me. All of those things uh, started to get 
healed because you never really heal you're always healing um not solved because there's never really a solution things are always changing you go forward you go back you change your perspective but that's when i i yeah i started to be the me that i am now although there was still a long way to go uh that's when i started to 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 queer my gender i guess um, now I'm somebody who considers myself to be genderqueer. Uh, so that was a five year process to getting to this point, I guess. Um, that's when I sort of fully took ownership of my mental health issues, uh, like anxiety and depression, suicidal ideation. That's also when I started to process those things properly, take responsibility for them to look at ways that I could uh, be accountable and atone for some of the the mistakes and and bad things that I'd done within my life. All of that kind of was put into that into that show. But then in 2018, that's when lots of different things changed. I moved from London to Lancaster because I couldn't afford to be a freelancer in London. Um, and now I'm in Lancaster. Uh, I stopped doing the monthly true storytelling event that I was doing live all the time. Um, I'd already put Stand Up Tragedy to bed, so I didn't have any live shows in my roster. I wasn't producing live shows. That is also, weirdly, the year when things picked up finally for me. When I moved to Lancaster, I was thinking I might have to get a day job again. Um, but that's when my regular gigs started to lock themselves into my schedule. I started to earn more money. I started to do more work for clients. I also managed to find a better uh, work-life balance, if you like. Um, I managed to, to see the value in free time for myself, and I have put that into my life, and I've been a much happier person for it. Uh, from 2018 onwards, I've had a pretty good mental health, and a big part of that is because I spent a big chunk of 2017 uh, getting therapy. Uh, a hard thing to get on the NHS. It took me six years to get there. Um, but when I did get to that point, I was lucky uh, and incredibly lucky, really, because I liked my therapist and she was really useful to me. And a lot of uh, work was done then that has, has gone on from there and been really useful. When I listened to last year's Getting Better Acquainted Extra, I was talking a lot then about how... 2018 had been quite therapeutic, even though I wasn't doing therapy because we'd spent a lot of time, my partner and I, deciding where we were going to move to, thinking about what we needed, what we wanted from that move. We travelled around the country quite a lot to consider different locations. Uh, we spent a lot of time with each other, um, talking about our lives, what we wanted. And so 2019 has been a year that has built on all of that stuff. Um, and has been one of the better years of my life, let alone of the decade. It's been a year when, when things have gone pretty well for me personally. But uh, as was mentioned in last year's Getting Better Acquainted Extra, uh, there's a split between 
me and my personal experience of 2019 and the wider reality of 2019 in terms of the nation, although I'm not a big fan of nations, uh, I unfortunately can't deny that I am uh, living within one, and the nation of Britain has not been doing that great in 2019. Uh, Larger than that nation, the world globally has been doing pretty terribly in 2019. So the last two years, a kind of disconnection has built between my life, which has been going pretty well for me, um, and the world around me, where things are going worse and worse. For those of us who are lucky enough to have had some good years, that is a bubble experience. That is not what is happening for the wider world around us. And that bubble can pop really easily. We also need to be trying to help each other, help the other people who are not in the bubbles of having a lucky few years where things have just aligned right to allow them to enjoy their lives. Um, There's a lot of people in danger at the moment. Uh, I don't say that wanting to be a kind of scaremonger. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to point out what's in reality going on. Like I have been talking for quite a number of years about the general descent into fascism that uh, we are going through globally. I mean, in this country, we have a right-wing government that in their manifesto, they spoke about genocidal policies towards the traveller community. And this country voted for that party now when i say this country did that i don't really mean the country because i don't think we have a particularly democratic democracy if you look at the amount of people who actually voted for the tory government they are not the majority of this country the people who voted against it or didn't vote at all are a much greater majority of people within the growing sea of hatred that is kind of washing over all of us. I mean, when I talk about hatred, I mean so many kinds, like lots of different kinds of racism, transphobia, homophobia, hate of all kinds. Um, Lots of stuff that gets used by fascist ideologies, by far-right totalitarian authoritarian ideologies Uh, you may still be one of the people who says don't use the word fascism don't make analogies to what it was like in germany running up to when uh, nazism happened Uh, don't make analogies to these historical moments that we should learn from Um, you may be one of those people who finds it difficult and problematic for me to use the word fascism Um, well in which case use a different word word but see reality please we are living in a country which we already have concentration camps within yarl's wood is is a famous uh, or more famous concentration camp that we have here we have others our policies uh, around migration and borders are hurting and killing people uh, 
Look at what happened to the Windrush generation, the people deported there, the people dying uh, around Europe, because I don't support Europe. And Europe is as bad in many ways as, as Britain, and it kills people with its borders and attitudes around nationhood. And the UK is not the only part of Europe, although it's only still a part of uh, the political block of Europe for a little while uh, longer, not long now, but uh, it is not the only country in Europe where fascism is rising. You've got, you know, Hungary, you've got Italy. There's all sorts of uh, problems within Europe, but when we leave Europe, uh, there will be as many problems, if not more problems, within uh, Britain, and we will not have the same ability to uh, try and push back against uh, the the rise of fascism that we might have had uh, under Europe, uh, and we just still had to fight really, really hard if that had happened. And then, you've, of course, you've got America, which, again... We have lots of concentration camps, documented rises in far right uh, violence of all of all kinds. Uh, you've got concentration camps in in China. You've got what's going on in India. You've got the war in Yemen, which we have been uh, contributing to the to the deaths that have been happening there, and no one mentioned that in the election that we just had. Um, we are in dire straits. And it's a complicated time to be in dire straits for me because, as I say, I am not. I'm in quite a good place. I am very, very privileged and lucky. I'm having a good time, but that doesn't mean that I can ignore all of this going on. None of us can ignore it. If we ignore it, that is when we don't learn from the mistakes of history and we carry them out again. And when we carry them out again, they won't look the same because life isn't the same. Uh, they will come in slightly different guises. There will be different wording used. There will be different routes into oppression and violence than we have seen in the past. But my generation and the generations above me since the war really have had a bubble. We think bad things can't happen in this country because they haven't really happened, although they have. Uh, they have happened. We've just ignored them in lots of ways. Uh, within my lifetime, uh, colonialism in Ireland has continued. Violence has happened uh, on these shores. Uh, but we have convinced ourselves in, in various different ways that we are entitled to peace, that peace can, will be our permanent state that we don't have to fight and work together for it. But as this stuff happens, I think we can take some hope in the fact that uh, solidarity, the potential for solidarity increases um, as things get worse. We have more allies as things get worse. We might not agree on the, the finer principles of exactly, you know, how we should approach dealing with capitalism or how we should approach uh, getting on and living together. Uh, but we can agree on more fundamental things like people shouldn't be murdered, people shouldn't be rounded up into camps, that people should pull together um, against uh the rise of fascism. Hopefully, we can do that. 
It's going to involve having to make compromises, having to work with people we don't agree with on all on all sides. It's going to have to involve uh, not being puritanical in our politics, but it also can't uh, involve not protecting the most marginalised and not raising the voices and concerns and politics of the most marginalised in our in our communities, uh, it can't it can't ignore that. It can't erase our differences. Uh, we have to find ways of working together where we agree uh, and fighting uh, where we disagree uh, for the best possible circumstances we can find. We have to be pragmatic where we can be. But 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 pragmatism at this point um, still will involve quite extreme change. It must uh, involve quite extreme actions uh, or we won't change quick enough, fast enough. The main thing I have not mentioned, which really is the biggest thing that threatens us now in this moment, is climate crisis. Uh, that is... It, is a big part of the why the rise of fascism is happening. Uh, it's also the thing that could uh, stop all of this in its tracks. Well, you know, fascist and and liberationist in our tracks because our world is going. The human world, uh, not the earth, not the planet, not the ecosystems which will last and change and grow, whether human beings are around or not. Um, but, you know, human life uh, is under threat. And that existential crisis must make us pull together because if it, if it doesn't, then we will be destroyed even as we try to destroy each other. I am being the most me I've ever been. I am genderqueer. That is how I identify. And I have been dressing in ways that have been expressing my uh, gender identity. I have had moments where I've experienced what people describe as uh, gender euphoria, where I've felt just right in what I'm wearing and how my body looks, in how I feel inside uh, and how I experience the world within that. I've had those moments. They've been few and far between, but they've happened. Um, but I'm also walking through the world and queering gender in a world that hates that. You know, I am experiencing more street harassment as a result of that. I'm in Lancaster, which is um, not as hard a place to live as, as some places might be in the UK, but certainly um, there is pushback against uh, the way that I uh, present in terms of my gender. That happens not just in in uh, in Lancaster. I'm often in different parts of the country, including London, and uh, it happens there too. And it seems like a kind of bitter irony for me that the more I know myself, the more comfortable I am within myself, the more I know how I could potentially fit and do fit within the world, uh, the more the world dislikes 
the kind of person I am. It's been a challenging year in that respect for me. I'm used to uh, holding on to this idea of myself as a very privileged person. And I, I often say things like people who look like me, uh, or I say, you know, someone who ticks all the boxes of privilege that I do. And those two phrases have been more complex this year. I found myself sometimes giving talks at podcast uh, festivals where I would say things like people who look like me. And because I'm a man, uh, or at least apparently a man, someone assigned as a man in, in society wearing a dress, um, that that's a, a different statement. Uh, what I mean to imply is middle class white men. Um, but that's not what I actually imply when I say people who look like me when I don't look the way that people who are like me are supposed to look. So that's complicated that. I tick genderqueer or non-binary in, in the boxes uh, of the checklist that we do. Uh, that actually means that I'm not as privileged as I might have thought in the past. And it's an interesting thing. You know, people can say you choose to, to dress the way you dress and you, you don't choose um, other things about people's identity that they get a gr grief in the street for. You don't necessarily choose these things. Um, but I, I, I think that's, that's really complicated because I don't, I don't choose to be harassed in the street. I don't actually choose for people to look at me. Most of the time, if I leave my house, I go out in what I consider to be drag, like the most masculine stuff that I've got whilst still expressing some of myself. I don't wear dresses in the street because I don't like the visibility. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be beaten up. I don't want to be hassled. And I admire the people who have the strength to to be more themselves as they go out. Um, and I, I, I aspire to do that myself. Um, but that is is not a choice. I don't choose to 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 be given grief. I don't choose to be uh, somebody who is looked at. Um, uh, one way I can say it is if I wore some of the things that I wear in different periods of history, I would not be seen as challenging gender in the same way like a lot of the dresses that i admire would have been worn by men in the past when men used to wear dresses a lot more they didn't call them dresses but they did wear them a lot so why should it be that big a deal if i leave my house in a dress in 2019 obviously many people think it shouldn't be a big deal but of course i would say it is a big deal for two reasons one is because uh, visibility does not equal uh, acceptance and, and the fact that, that people who challenge gender in many different ways, uh, whether they be cis or trans, um, are singled out and attacked in the street. One of the reasons that happens in 2019 is because that has not come with acceptance. There have been things won, but people have not changed their attitude. Uh, they're aware, but they haven't changed their attitude. And the other reason is Everything is being pushed back against. There will be an increase of kinds of hate. It's already happening. I'm already hearing it. People are becoming more hateful towards anything that is not in their mind normal. And normal is an idea that isn't real. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing. I'm looking down my list here of 
all of the things that I wanted to talk about in this uh, New Year's Extra, this check-in from On The Hiatus. And I'm also looking down at the recording, and it's been quite a long time I've been talking, and I haven't got to a lot of the things that are on my list. Um, So I'm going to not cover all of them, I think. I'm going to mostly leave out my achievements this year. There have been some. I've done lots of really exciting things. I've worked with some clients uh, that have meant that I've traveled all around the country. I've met some really interesting people as a result of that. I've uh, been doing Made of Human for Sophie Hagen uh, for over a year now, which is a, a regular gig that is, is, is helping me to stay above water. I'm still doing the monthly Restart Project podcast, which I've been doing uh, since I went freelance so that's been a lot of years now Uh, I'm also doing the breakup monologues for Rosie Wilby those are the three regular gigs but I've also had some big uh semi-regular gigs for corporate clients that have paid uh really well although have meant that I've I've ended up in in rooms that have been very confusing for me you know where I've been surrounded by lots of rich people in central London and in fancy weird offices that are very not in line with my politics and where I don't feel comfortable uh, for many different reasons Um, but that has also been interesting in some ways Um, and I've you know done podcast festivals I I helped curate some really amazing um, events as part of the London Podcast Festival I was really proud to uh, have managed to curate a a, a a conversation between Josh Rivers from Busy Being Black and Campbell X. They had a great conversation which is available on the Busy Being Black podcast feed, which you can hear. Um, I was very pleased to have been able to help that to come into the world. I did a talk myself. I did a talk in Thirst uh, at the podcast festival there. I've been very active. I've also got back involved with the parts of my family that I've been neglecting. I've seen my nieces. Uh, I've seen my little sister. I've seen my mum some this year. Um, all of that stuff has been stuff I've neglected in the years when I was in London, where I was trying to make freelance work. And so I was constantly under pressures in terms of work. But the other big thing that kept me locked in London, that kept me uh, from seeing the, the full range of my family and friends was that I was committed for quite a few years to looking after my dad as he got older and he started to become somebody experiencing dementia. And I was there for him for many, many years. When I moved to Lancaster, my dad um, was moved to Yorkshire, where he is living in assisted uh, accommodation now. And so when I moved to Lancaster, I went from being someone who saw him every day to being someone who this year I've seen him twice. Uh, I, when I say I've seen him twice, I, I see him every day because he's on my windowsill um, in a picture frame. Uh, I hear him all the time because he was in, you know, he was involved in the last series, series three of the family tree, recordings of him from a few years back. And I am, in fact, in 2020, 
going to be spending a lot of time with the past versions of him. I'm going to be making a new podcast based on some medium pieces that I wrote called uh, Down to a Sunless Sea, Memories of My Dad. I'm going to be taking those narrations. I was intending to do it in 2019, but I I didn't have the time to fit it in. Um, But I'm going to be taking some pieces I've written and I'm going to be mixing it in with recordings and conversations that I've had with him. Um, But I also, just at the end of the year, found out that I got some funding from the Welcome Collection. So as well as that strand of Down to a Sunless Sea, there's going to be six episodes where I explore the science behind the issues involved in the series, which will be things like the science behind dementia, the science and politics around euthanasia, uh, the science behind mental health and suicide, the science behind grief, the science around heart conditions and old age. Uh, I'm going to be looking into all of those kinds of things and I've got funding to do it. So I'm going to be traveling around the country, speaking to really interesting people, but not doing it on behalf of a client, but on behalf of myself for a project which I have funding for. Uh, That is a first for me. I've done lots of bits of that. I've done projects for myself, but I've not really got funding for them. And I have done projects for other people that have ticked some of those boxes but I've never had that combination and I am excited to see how that goes. I also had lots of other news just at the end of the year which means that I may be starting 2020 with too much work. Of course I will have to try and do all of that work because I'm a freelancer and I never know where the next work will come from. One of the reasons why I'm enjoying this liminal time is because I can not worry about too much or not enough during this time. Uh, I am the cat in the box. Uh, Maybe I'm dead. Maybe I'm alive. Maybe I'll be overly worked when I come back in 2020. Maybe I won't have enough work and I'll be scrabbling for pennies. But I do definitely know I will have that project funded and we'll be making that new podcast project in 2020. 20 and I will be releasing it on its own podcast feed but I will also be releasing it on the Getting Better Acquainted feed so there will definitely be new stuff this year and there will be quite a few episodes of new stuff and it will be uh, of a high quality it will be uh, edited and not rambly it will be all of the things that podcasts have become because I started podcasting when podcasting was still becoming and it still is becoming this there's there's new things that podcasting can do there's there's still new terrain to explore but a lot of terrain has been covered and during that time i've done lots of different kinds of work in podcasting um but this uh is kind of the culmination of of that change uh, between what I did when I started getting better acquainted and what I want to do going forwards. Although I do still have time in my heart and my mind and my ears for long form, for less structured podcast content, I'm interested in in making very edited, considered pieces going forwards. So I'm going to be spending a lot of time with my dad next year. Um, but I am not seeing him that much. Um, I'm not seeing him because that's not good for my mental health. I'm not seeing him because I've already looked after and out 
for my dad for quite a few years um, when he was more himself and we had a beautiful friendship that uh, I still consider the most important friendship of my life. Um, I'm not sure he would fully remember it now, um, but you might get him to agree on that if it was a good day and he could, and, and but you wouldn't be fully sure that he understood what he was saying even then. So I put the time in and I have siblings, so I, I think it's fair to for them to, to do some of the time now. And I, I, I don't think that it would be a bad thing, though, if they also wanted to, to stop seeing him. I, I think grief and age and death and all of these things are, are difficult things to navigate. And I do not think there is a right or a wrong way to do it. And I, I am finding my way of dealing with the slow death of my father. I hope that my siblings find similar ways to to deal with it and I support them in whatever they they need to do um and I hope that they support me in what I need to do. I've thought very long and hard about whether I should keep seeing my dad. Um and both times when I've seen him this year have confirmed to me that it is a bad idea. It's a bad idea for my mental health, but I don't think it's a good thing for his mental health um, because I can't lie to him and I can't dismiss his agency and change the subject. And so if he wants to speak to me for hours on end about how much he wants to die, um, I I don't find myself in a position where I can shush him up as others choose to do. And I can't get out of that circle, uh, uh, that loop. Um, as he becomes less himself, as he goes more into dementia, maybe he will stop doing that loop. Um, and maybe there's an argument uh, for me seeing him more then. But I don't really want to remember the husk that he's become when I you know, have such deep relationship with the, the person he was. And I don't think I can help. Uh, when I see him uh, and since I don't think I'm useful to him uh, and seeing him is not useful to me I, I have made this decision to separate from him in that regard but all I can do to to show my love for him my show to, to show my love for who he was is to do what the past him would have liked so in the family tree I managed to give him the death that he would have liked to have had. Uh, in Down to a Sunless Sea, I will be showcasing his life, his thoughts, his ideas, his personhood, uh, and remembering that and sharing that with a wider amount of people. And as somebody who always wanted to be recognised for his ideas and his thoughts and his life and his fictions... Um, I hope that, that the work I've done on the family tree and the work I do uh, next year, and I've, which I've already done for quite a few years, actually, uh, the process of, of Down to It, Sunless Sea has been a slow uh, fits and start one, but it's, but it's been happening uh, since 2017. I've been uh, working towards creating that show. So during that time, the work I've been doing, hopefully, uh, is a way that I can show my love for him uh, and is a way that I can do what he would have wanted. Uh, I'm only sad that he is now 
too far gone to be able to enjoy the family tree as he did at the beginning of the three seasons. He really enjoyed listening to the family tree and being a part of the family tree. Um, and I'm, I'm sad that he will not be able to, to listen to Down to a Sunless Sea and process it and understand it. He has passed that point. Um, so that's going to be a, a weird year for me next year, thinking a lot about my dad, but not seeing him or at least trying not to see him. That's the main thing I'm, I know I'm going to be doing next year, as well as doing lots of different work for clients. I'm also going to be trying to think about ways that I can be myself and be in community with the people around me in different kinds of ways, whether they be my virtual communities or my my real communities, which scares the shit out of me because I, I love the politically I support community, but I, I hate talking to neighbours. Um, so I'm going to challenge myself in those kind of ways. I'm going to be looking for ways that change can happen, that we can improve our political circumstance. Uh, I've stopped going on marches. I find them to be uh, incredibly distressing and triggering, and I don't find them to be that useful uh, politically. There are better places I can put my my skills, my resources, who I am. Uh, I put my politics into my work, into my art, my, my, my creativity, into my personal relationships, my interpersonal relationships. Sure, and I've been making political work um, for a number of years now. But I'm also going to be looking for other ways that, that that can be achieved. The political work that I've been mostly focusing on for the for the last like five, six years has been my masculinity work. And 2019 was the year that I finally decided to give up on trying to raise funds to get a book of that work published through Unbound. Uh, between last year and this year, my crowdfunding of that project went up from 24% to 25%. So I think that can give you a lot of reason why I decided to call it a day. But that said, that work I did in terms of uh, the show that I made, which is still available as a as a free uh, podcast, the database of, of a survey that I made, which is still available as an open source resource, the episode of BBC Radio 4's Forethought that I did, which has been a very popular one and was replayed uh, a couple of years after it originally went out, that work all still exists. And this year in 2019, I finally did get some of that masculinity work published in a book, uh, but it was in the book that I'm holding in my hand now, which is called What is Masculinity? Why Does It Matter? And Other Big Questions, which was written slash edited by Jeffrey Boyacci and Darren Chetty. Uh, it's a book for Key Stage 2 kids, um, and it contains uh, a piece that I wrote about my experiences of masculinity growing up. There's so many other contributors in that book, all of whom are amazing. Uh, the people who wrote slash edited it are amazing. Uh, and you should buy it for the for the people in your lives who may benefit from it. And 
Whilst I'm going to be definitely putting my masculinity show on ice for a bit, I'm not going to be thinking about it for maybe the first half of next year. I will be looking eventually into different routes to maybe getting that published and and doing that work. And I, I certainly will not be giving up on that topic. That topic will be there in the fiction and the nonfiction I make. That's going to be a part of the political work that I do going forwards. But I'm also going to be looking for other ways uh, to do political work. Uh, sometimes the personal, the very personal, can be political. And as things get worse, we're going to have to protect each other. And that's going to involve work in the streets as well as work in the arts. It's going to involve theory and it's going to involve practice, it's going to involve compromise, and it's going to involve conflict. And I hope that going into 2020, I will find ways to use the positive position I find myself in, where I know myself better, where my freelance work is actually making me enough money to to live and to thrive. I hope that all of those positives that I am lucky and privileged to be experiencing will give me the strength to find ways to help wider communities who are all in danger. And I am, to a certain extent, also in danger. When you step out of the boxes of privilege, when you tick different places in your equal opportunities forms, when you dress differently on the street, when you publicly oppose a fascist or an approaching fascist government, when you publicly advocate for alternative politics to the ones being pushed by the media, by the far right, by the general political classes of our, in inverted commas, democracies, when you do that, you put yourself in harm's way as well. And we need to stop thinking it can't happen to us. What happens to the people who are most marginalised today will happen to many, many, many more people as things get worse, unless we find ways to change and push back against it. And one thing I'm also keeping in mind is we don't know the future. That means that there's hope as well as despair. Change can happen. It can happen to us. It can happen to the world around us. And change is much easier to make happen as well as so much harder to make happen than we think. Making getting better acquainted up to the point where I went on hiatus showed me that I change, that people change, And I think that that can happen on a wider level. And when we're reaching for that change, don't forget to enjoy things. Don't forget to look at the blue sky and the beauty that you might see around you. My little sister keeps telling me that a therapist she went to see told her to look up. That... She always looked down at the floor and if she looked up when she left her house, she would see that the world was bigger and wider and more filled with beauty than she did if she stuck in her own little world and tried not to engage with the world around her. 
And she's found that that has helped her. I'm not sure that that approach would help me, but there are different ways that I find to engage with the world around me and to remember the beautiful things about it. And we need that. That's the fuel that helps us to fight. It's the fuel that helps us to see that change can happen. So grasp onto the love and joy that you find in this life. I think cynicism and optimism, they're both too easy. They're both too simple. We can't know what will happen. It's healthy, I think, to be as agnostic as possible, to try and remember that we are not certain of anything. It's a deep irony that we're going into a year called 2020. Because I think this is a time for all our media, and in fact, possibly because of all of our media, because of all of our global connections. This is a time where we see the worst that we've ever seen. We see ourselves badly. We see each other badly. We see our futures badly. We just do not know what's going to happen. So if you're feeling hopeful, don't forget that things might go badly. If you don't look at the bad things happening, then your hope will be misplaced. But equally, if you're feeling like despair is all you can think and feel, that there is no hope, then that is also a lie. We've got to look at the hard things to look at. and We've got to remember that change is possible. And the last thing I do on Getting Better Acquainted when I'm doing a, an interview with someone is to say goodbye to the audience. So I will do that now. Goodbye, everybody. Remember, there are lots of ways of getting better acquainted. And we need to get better acquainted with each other so we can find ways to push back and to make positive transformative change happen.